Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Maybe needs to be said from a lot of pulpits. Now, a certain man was sick. Tells you who he was, named Lazarus. And where he was from, a Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, so their sisters and brother. Then in parentheses, it was that Mary, telling you which one, which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with the hair of her, of her hair, and whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick using a little leverage there, aren't they? When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And I I love it when God gets the glory, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Now, drop with me down to verse 20, which refers to the first seven verses of the account. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, met Jesus. Now catch this. If you miss this, you miss the story. But Mary sat still in the house. Now, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she got up and ran to meet him. And then, of course, you have that colon, meaning there's a continuation of thought. And you have this contrast between Martha, who runs to meet Jesus, and Mary, that just closed the door and just sat down and remained at the house didn't go meet him. She remains isolated, closed off, alone. I want to talk to you about something that has plagued our country like nothing that we've ever encountered in our lifetime. If you lose something around the church, what would you lose that would probably be the most difficult to replace? Somebody suggested members, church members. Older folk, the elderly die off, and can you replace them in time? Young people, they they leave for college and move off to some nearby city and marry someone and then never return back to their hometown or back to their local church. And when you're a pastor, you realize how difficult it is to keep the momentum of people coming when you're burying some and you're marrying off others and you don't replace those empty seats. And then something that we've never dealt with before, the statistics have it that more than 50% of the people in America do not attend church at all in any, any form. That's never happened statistically in the history of America. And yet, 
While that's a tremendous problem replacing members, it's not the most difficult thing to replace. Somebody else said money. And money can be a real issue, can it not? It takes money to operate a ministry. But that's not the hardest thing to, to replace. Then somebody else suggested that it, it might be musicians. And uh, we're spoiled around here, are we not? In both services. And even at our West Campus, we've got some great singers. Instruments everywhere. And I go into churches to speak and I see instruments, but there's nobody there to play them. I'll see the neck of a, of a guitar, and I'll see a bass setting to one side, and a drum set gathering dust, and a keyboard, and no, no one to play them. And you can't really have a great, great church without some great, great music. And yet that's not the hardest thing to replace. Somebody else said that probably it's ministers. I, I was at our Christmas banquet, and a minister of another denomination came, and and said, we, uh, we retired 20-some of our preachers and only replaced them with 11. And we're not getting enough out of our colleges to replace. And we're closing churches. And it went on to say, many of our preachers are pastoring a whole circuit of two to three or four churches. But while that may be difficult to replace ministers, I want to tell you the thing that's really hit the churches across America the hardest and that's to recover our momentum. We have lost momentum in the church. Somebody said that a church only gets one great time of momentum. This church has had two great momentums. And I think I sense that we're back on track to move into another great time of momentum. Now the name Mary, if you're interested, the name Mary means uh, bitterness, it means rebellious, it means mad, it means upset. I know a lot of people, their name must have meant that too. But before you start criticizing Mary, this is what had happened. Jesus had left Jerusalem and he's going up to Galilee and he's taking with him some of his disciples and he'd been threatened, his life had been threatened and so they're moving along and then he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And maybe dying. And uh, he hung around a little bit. And by the time, after two days, he gets to Bethany, four days had passed and Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, I heard about one church, a guy died and they sent for the mortician. He carried out six fellows before he even found the right one. <laughs> Zoom. That was a 747. And... Uh, Things hadn't worked out for Mary quite like she had hoped. She didn't want to bury her brother. She didn't want the death of her brother. The home has got a seat that's empty. There's a sadness, a gloom that is spread through that little village and through that little home there in Bethany. And her disappointment in Jesus not showing up in time and allowing his friend Lazarus to die and She's in a mood, and she's disappointed, and she's broken. Now, they announced that Jesus is coming, and when they did, Martha jumped up, and she tore out of that house, and she went running for Jesus. Can you imagine if they announced that Jesus was coming to Bucyrus? 
If that got noised abroad, don't you imagine that sinners and lost people alike would line the streets to see him? Do you or don't you? Well, that is up for grabs, isn't it? Because every Sunday we come and we know the Holy Spirit here, the very Spirit of Christ is here, and yet there's folk staying home and not that interested. But anyway, she jumped up and she headed in. But the Bible said about Mary, she sat still in the house. Now, it'd be very easy to criticize her right now and pick up some rocks and start throwing rocks at her and talking about what a failure and what a, what a rebellious person. But before you throw a rock, before you get critical in your heart toward her, three things I'd like to share with you, and I don't want you to ever forget them. Number one, there was a day when she served Jesus with all of her heart. She lived in this little village of Bethany. The Bible records that Jesus traveled through Bethany more than any other town. The Bible record lets us know that he walked through that town more than any other town. Bethany, Bethany, Bethany. On and on and on it mentions. And it appears that when he did go to through Bethany, he would stop and stay at the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They loved him and he loved their cooking or something. And he would stop there. And here's Mary. Now, every time he would come, Martha would run out and invite Jesus home. And by the time he got there and sat down to talk with Lazarus, those two women would go into the kitchen and, and they'd make fig bread and, and they would get the olives out and they'd begin to make cheese and begin to put a spread on. And they would cook for him and she loved him and she served Jesus Christ with all of her heart. I mean, every heartbeat of Mary's life was to serve Jesus. And how could anybody that loved Jesus like this lose heart in him and lose their momentum and lose their excitement and not even get up off the couch? But she had served him with all of her heart one time. May I say secondly that she even sat at his feet according to the Bible. She sat at his feet. Um, if you remember one time, Martha was in the other room and she was cooking and the Bible said that she was cumbered about by all this routine and she's in there by herself and their air conditioning wasn't working and it's hot and she's frustrated because her sister Mary is not in there with her and she poked her head in and looked and there she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's doing all the work around the church. And uh, she stepped in and said, I'd like to register a complaint at the complaint department. Mary, every time Jesus comes, instead of serving, you want to be sitting at his feet. And tell her to get up and get in the kitchen and help me. And Jesus responded, Martha, Martha. It's kind of like my mom when she'd say, Ray, Ray, not twice, you're in trouble. And can you imagine? He said, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which should not be taken away from her. Mary loved Jesus so much that she sat at his feet. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of God? Sitting so close to God, you can just reach out and touch the feet of God. And then wind up in a situation where you've lost all of your momentum. 
And not only that, thirdly, she was a sacrificial giver. After Mary got saved, the Bible said that Mary brought, brought an alabaster box, a fragrance and oil. And Jesus is in the house and he's sitting there eating and the Bible said that Mary broke that alabaster box and anointed his feet with that oil and it ran down all over the feet of Jesus. The fragrance filled not only the room but filled the house and they could smell it on the outside. And she literally took her own hair and dried the feet of the Son of God. And I don't know if you know this, but an alabaster box was a sealed box. Did not have a cork. Did not have a lid that you could unscrew. The only way to get the oil out, you had to break the box. You used all of it when you broke it. It all went. And the value was somewhere around 300 pence. That's a year's wage. And old Judah sitting there said, that's a waste. I'd like to make a motion on the board here about squandering all this giving. We could have taken that money and fed the poor. Yeah, and we could steal the money too. And she anointed the feet of Jesus. Oh, oh, this is her bank account. They didn't have banks to go to. So this is her savings. She had accumulated an entire year's worth of savings. And she put it on the feet of Christ. Now, can you imagine loving God so much that all you wanted to do was deliver your life to serve him? Can you imagine wanting to be around God so much you just wanted to sit at his feet? Can you imagine loving Jesus so much that you just wanted to sacrificially give a whole year's worth of your income and your savings. I mean, if we did that one Sunday and everybody give a year's worth of their income, we'd pay this building off, the mortgage off in one Sunday. Zoom, there it went again. It was a jet that time. That's a pretty good testimony, isn't it? If we just had one of those happenings, word would spread by Cyrus Naz is, they're in a revival. Did you hear everybody's serving the Lord there? Why? Did you hear everybody's reaching out and touching the feet of God? Everybody's giving. They're just turning in the finances and the church is exploding. And they just had one. Can you imagine if we had all three? Now, there she is. She's serving. She's setting. She's sacrificing. And now the Bible said in verse 20, she just sat still in the house. Now, that's the only time that word in the original Greek is ever used in Scripture. It is so powerful and it's so strong that it was never used before. It's never been used since. Just there she sat. And it means a gritty determination. This, I'm never moving again. I'm, I've lost my heart. I've lost my faith. I've lost my momentum. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to sit here. And instead of being with Jesus, she's sitting in the house. And then here comes Jesus. Now my question is why? Why did Mary lose her momentum? Now she did live in a town called Bethany. And I looked up Bethany and the, 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 the name Bethany means a place of affliction. Kind of sounds like the world we live in, doesn't it? Affliction. And if we're not careful, diseases and, and disappointment and trials and suffering and limitations of our body and 
our, our psychic and our emotions and depression and all of those things. We can have so much stuff happening in our life that we don't even understand, let alone talk about it. And sometimes through affliction, it can gnaw away our love and our, our momentum and our, our joy. And, and uh, it can drain out all the excitement and all the love, the zeal for God. And all of a sudden, it's gone. And I thought in my office a bit ago of all the people in the 29 years I've been here this month, 29 years. If all the people that had once attended this ministry... If we could get them in on one Sunday, there'd be not enough places in the complex. I'm talking about the event center, this, the grand foyer, all the Sunday school rooms, the gymnasium, and even the grounds to hold the crowd. That one day we're excited about ministry. One day we're in love with God. One day we're really serving, but something happened and they, they got in the wrong habit. They begin to miss church and then they... No longer miss church. They stayed home in their house, not in God's house. What happens? Well, people lose their momentum. Something uh, happens in a Christian's life. One old man, a minister, studied the average Christian's life, and he said, on average, people are excited for about a three-year period, three years. And then they lose their excitement. Three years, problems, priorities, sickness, children come along, the job and the pressures of life, paying bills, whatever. It creeps into their life and puts them in a place of affliction and suddenly their momentum for God is gone. Could I ask you this morning, have you lost your momentum? Churches across the nation have. You cannot believe how many churches have closed and how many will close. And maybe an unexpected situation is taking place in your life and it's affected your faith and it put a question mark and it replaced that faith with doubt and discouragement has settled in and it's robbed you of your joy. And it seems like God's people all over this country are trying to find a reset button. Try to get back on track. And they can't get started. Their faith is dulled. And the joy is drained. And they're wanting to know, how do I get back into a relationship with God? It's like the lights have gone out and it's Motel 6, but the door's locked. We've been through 16 or 18 months. I'm not good into calculating all that. Sit there and not hear the rest of the sermon. Figure it out yourself and worry about it if you want. But however many months, we've literally been in hiding. Hiding in our houses and hiding our faces and People are tired of the mandates and they're tired of the uh, mask and they're tired of sitting at home and they're tired of not having victory and they're tired of all the isolation. They're weary with it and they're wanting to get out and they're wanting to find their way back in. And I want to tell you how to find your momentum if you listen. There's three ways according to this Bible account. I know we've been through uncharted waters, but it's time to get back on Fire for God again. It's time to get the joy back. And I know God's done a marvelous thing here on this campus. And I know we've got more new families coming than we've had in ages. 
But momentum's starting to hit us. And if you really want to know how, let me, let me share with you just for a few minutes from the Bible how she got her momentum back. First of all, you've got to reunite yourself with the assembly. Isolation has never been the answer to overcoming live situations. Need to get back to church. Back to assembling together. Not as the manner of some is setting off to one side. Mary got help when she finally got up and got out of the house and met Jesus and the other believers. Let me read it to you. I'm not making all this up. Part of it's true. Verse 32. Then Mary was gone. Or, or then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. When she got out of the house and she got to Jesus and got her eyes on him, she was back at his feet again. And the joy returned. Now I want to stop just for a moment and thank God that some folk have never missed a beat. You cannot build the kingdom of God if somebody doesn't remain faithful and keep the fires burning. And my hat is off to that crowd. But we do need to come together. We need to hear one another's stories. We need to pray together. We, we need to sing together. We need to be together and offer encouragement and inspiration. The world is tough. Bethany, the place of affliction. I mean, when you come in out of uh, the, the world and step into church, it's just like a load lifts off. I don't know how you feel. But I know that I'm about to face a brand new week and I don't know what's in that week. And boy, when I'm here, I, 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 I unplug from all that's happened and I plug into another world. Boy, was truant, delinquent, on drugs and got arrested and went before the judge in the court. And the judge told him, said, I'm going to lock you up, boy. Throw away the key. I've had it. But he said, you're so young, I'm bothered. I, your, your life will be wasted forever. I just feel like in my heart I ought to give you one more chance. Do you have a relative that you could go to and work your way for a whole summer and they would watch every move you made? If so, I'll release you. Otherwise, it's to the lockup. And his mama remembered that her brother lived down in Mississippi. Had an old farm and worked in the logging business. And she didn't know if he would take that prodigal son of hers or not, but a few phone calls and he agreed to take him. Now he, he was so full of drugs, it'd take forever to dry him out. He'd never worked a day in his life. He had not a clue what it was like in Mississippi. Cross-eyed peas, they eat turnip greens. He thought they were eating grass, but he ended up down there on his uncle's crude old farm, found that he didn't really farm, but that he was a logger and he cut pulp wood for paper mills. And uh, he would get up in the middle of the night, four o'clock. And so on that first morning, still trying to dry out from the drugs, never had worked. Four o'clock, his uncle said, get up. He looked around, there wasn't any light coming through the window. He said, what time is it? He says, time to get up. We're going to work. He followed him out in the kitchen and found his saw clock and it said four o'clock. He said, it's the middle of the night. He said, we're up. He said, what do you want for breakfast? He said, Fruit Loops. Now, if you think Fruit Loops going to help you when you're cutting timber, I'm not going to tell you what I thought. 
And he said, we piled into this old pickup truck and he had a trailer on behind with a big old mule in it. He had never seen a mule. He didn't know what a mule was. He didn't know what mules were for. And off they went. You could hear that mule moving around in the trailer to shake the truck and still dark. And they got out there in, a, in the swampy, mosquito-infested terrain of Mississippi. Snakes everywhere. He said, we're cutting pulpwood. He didn't know a pine from a poplar. He gave you, he was about 102 pounds and he handed him a 98 pound chainsaw. And he said, if you pull this rope here, it'll start if you hold your finger on this button. Hit this other button and it gives it a little oil for the blades. He thought, I'm gonna show my uncle what a worker I am. He said, I started falling trees. Trees were falling everywhere. Of course, he said, I didn't know what tree was what. But he said, I was dropping them. Then he said, I, while I'm working, he said, he had this about a 1,800-pound mule. He said it was the ugliest animal he said I'd ever seen in my life. Swayed back and hairy and, and uh, smelly and said he hooked up a bunch of leather stuff to him and, and uh, some lines and, and then a strap that led to the back and he had a heavy set of metal tongs. And he said he took those tongs and he put it on the side of that log and, and pulled it. And when he did that, tongs bit into that log. And he said something to the mule. And he said the mule knew what he said. He began to pull forward. He said, I found my uncle could say something and the mule would go right. He could say something else and the mule would go left. He could say something and the mule would back up. Now you heard about the guy that had a mule and cussed and damned so much that he got saved. After that, the mule didn't know what to do. He didn't understand his language. <laughs> he said the next morning, when he woke me up at four, I went into the kitchen. He said, I never said anything about Fruit Loops. He said, I looked at what he had in his hand and I said, what's that? He said, that's a cat head biscuit. He said, what do you want to eat? He said, I want six of them and all that gravy and I want about a dozen eggs and a pound of bacon. And he said, oh, what I don't eat, I'll take with me. He said, I'm going to survive those snake-infested swamps and those logs. And he said, I watched that, watched that big old mule when he would speak and said, I, I thought he was half dead. But when he felt that load, his muscles would suddenly tense up the back would smooth out and he would dig in and begin to pull that log and the log would dig into the ground, grating against dirt, but he kept pulling and literally pulled it up the mountain to where the truck was and he had a lift and he would lift the logs on. But he said at the end of the day, tired and that old mule was covered with foam or froth or lather or whatever. He said it worked itself to death. He said, I watched the mule try to get into the back of the wagon. It was all he could do to get in the trailer, so worn out. So he lifted the lid up and latched it and said, we headed back to the farm. Nobody's talking. We're too tired to talk. If we could have talked anymore, we'd have cut another log. And he said, my uncle backed the trailer back up by the farmhouse. And when he stepped back and he said, son, get out of the way. And he said, he dropped that back lid. He said, that mule came full throttle out of the back of that trailer for hoof drive. And he took off across the field leaping and dancing and jumping and making all kinds of sounds. And he said to the uncle, said, you overworked him. You killed that thing. It's having a seizure. 
No, he said, it's fine. Well, why is he acting so crazy? He said, because he's faced the burden and the load and the work and the heat and the sun all day long. And he knows tomorrow there'll be the burden of another harsh, hard day. But he knows now he's on the owner's place. He's at home at the owner's house. He knows I'll put out sweet feet in that trough and clear, clean water in that other trough. And he knows the burden is gone and he's gonna rest for a while. May I say to you, God has provided a, a place for the assembly called the church where we can come in out of the heat of the day and the weight and the loads, the burdens of life and plug into his world and out of that world because we know next week we're gonna face a brand new bit of affliction in this place called Bethany, the place of affliction. And so it's time to worship God in his house for a little while. There's a second thing about Mary. If you wanna get your momentum back, you need to release your emotions when you wanna hide them. Look at verse 32 and 33, I'll not read it, but Mary wanted to know why Jesus allowed Lazarus die. It was something she hadn't expected. She thought they'd get another miracle. And so when she arrived there, she was tense, but when she stood outside the grave, suddenly she broke down and began to weep. She wept until she could be heard across that entire cemetery. She wept until the Bible said that Jesus wept. Could it be the reason some of us have lost our momentum and it's gone is because we're hiding things that have happened in our life. And we've never released them. We bottled them up. We put a cork on it. We thought we're never gonna tell anybody our disappointments in life. Nobody wants to know and we're too proud to say anything. And the longer you bottle it up, it'll not only cause you hurt now, it'll do more damage later. And I'm including things like anger and and grief and, and resentment and stress and unforgiveness and malice and hatred. If you find yourself going to bed at night and you're shaking and you don't know why, there's a reason. If you find yourself at night grinding your teeth until they feel like they're almost loose, and biting on your tongue, clenching your fist until your arms hurt, laying there awake, refighting the battles of the day and rejecting the very people that love you the most. If you get up and you're as unrested as you were when you went to bed, you need to do something, you need to get real and you need to get honest with yourself, something's wrong. Can I just tell you a little secret? I've been in the ministry for a while, I don't know a whole lot, I used to. That's before I learned I didn't know anything. Don't you say amen. If you knew so much, I'd be hunting you up and asking for all your wisdom. I've been asking God for wisdom. I'm not sure he's handing out much these days. But I'm finding so many people are fighting so many battles, carrying so many loads. It's just amazing to me. If we could look into the unseen world, how many suitcases people are carrying around of old luggage and old baggage from their past. Disappointments on the job. and Things they remember back when they were in school and they were hurt. And it did a damage and somebody made fun and problems that took place at home and you didn't know if you were going to have a home to come home to. Battles, your parents, the only thing they knew was to live like their parents had raised them. 
Some have been, been beaten on and all they need to do was to pass the beatings on to you. You get kids, you don't get a book on how to raise them and most people don't do it so well. Lady got up and started down the aisle right in the middle of a sermon and, and just stood there weeping. Preacher tried to keep preaching, but he didn't know what to do. And finally, somebody slipped up to the lady. She was up in years and said to her, said, are you needing something? She said, I got to get help. I've come to the last service I could ever come to. I, can't, I don't want to live another day the way I've lived. And they said, what's wrong? Said 50 some years ago, my uncle done something to me over a period of time. And I feel dirty that I'm not the person I could have been if it had ever happened. All I can think back in my free time is what happened. I feel like I'm unworthy. I don't think I know how to love my husband, love the kids. And I'm resentful of everybody. And anybody tries to show me any affection or attention or love. And I begin to question and I begin to revolt. I can't live another day. That little lady was smart enough to say to that old woman, then let's kneel down and let's dump it on God. God can handle it. Book of Mark said that he's the ox and we can unload on him. Let's unload it. Preacher quit preaching. The crowd gathered. They began to pray and she poured out her heart and said, God, I'd rather die than to live another day. I thought when my uncle died, I thought it'd lift, but it's gotten worse. And when she got up from the altar from sobbing and praying, she said, this is the first day in my years that I feel like I can breathe clean air again. Most of us need to get real in our emotions and admit we've been hurt and we need help and find that momentum again. The air's been knocked out of us. And I'll tell you what, you may have worked a job for years and you're planning your retirement and suddenly you find out they've sold the, 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 the company and you're going to be put out early. You're told by the doctor coming to the office and you've only got months to live. Some other doctor said, do you realize your spouse has begun the first entrance into Alzheimer's? And you realize, I'm loaded. What am I going to do? And people are carrying all of these loads and it's killed their momentum and their joy is gone. And there are people like Mary everywhere asking why. Lord, if you'd have been here, when I was going through this struggle in my life, it could have been different. Lord, why didn't you help me? God, why are you allowing these things to happen? Do you know what? Before sunrise happens, your world can get turned upside down in a moment. But the worst thing in the world is to bottle it up. And there stood Mary, who had bottled it up. And she began to weep. And she wept. The Bible said, Jesus wept. People get bitter. And instead of going out like Martha did and just letting go of it, many are like Mary, I'll just keep it to myself. I'll just go home and shut the door and put my mask on when I'm around people. And the longer she did, the worse she got. And it may be that way down deep in the crevice somewhere of your inner being, there's things that you haven't even talked to Jesus about and you're not going to get any help till you get real. And all across that cemetery, they listened and they could hear her voice. Jesus, if, if you'd have been here. Anybody want their momentum back this morning? I do. If you don't, okay, don't worry about it. But if you do, there's one third thing. 
You've got to remove stuff that's hindering God from working in your life. When they arrived at that headstone, it was blocking the entrance into the tomb. Jesus has come to call Lazarus forth, and we know he's the king of kings. He could have said, rock be thou removed, and if it didn't move, the mountain behind it would have. But that isn't what he said. He looked at Mary and Martha, and he said, would you remove that stone? I'm not going to. I didn't put it there. You put it there. If you get it out of the way, on the other side of that stone is your miracle. The supernatural's on the other side. The moment you get that hindrance out of the way, you're going to see something come to life. And I'm just simply saying to you that God has the supernatural waiting for this ministry and for your home and for your life. If we'll get some of the hindrances out of the way, we can find our momentum and get back into the race of life. There is a race, in case you didn't know it. If you're sitting there discouraged and, and you're throwing in the towel and you feel like quitting and everybody, the world's going on by you, there is a race. Get up. Get out on the track. Get in your lane and let's run the race with faith. There's a big racetrack down in Florida. Orlando is a, it's the AKC. That's the American Kennel Club. Every year they have it. They run the... Purebreds, thoroughbreds, dogs that can run, I mean, can run like the greyhound. Like the guy said to his wife, stop, stop, there's a dog. What's it called? Greyhound as it hit him. There went a light plane. So they, they have this racetrack and generally they'll have about 100 dogs. That year they had, I think, 115, 160, I don't know, something like that. Some of those dogs are worth millions of dollars. They won't even let you touch them. Fact about the dog that wins the race goes for millions. The, the, the little babies those dogs have, they'll sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars if mama or dad wins the race. These people are wealthy. They come in from all over the world to run their dogs, see who's got the fastest dog in the world, and they'd line their dogs up, and here came a couple, and they'd gone over the register, and they'd it said uh, the breed of your dog and they put down mutt. They didn't know its breed. Somebody said uh, when they paid the interest fee, is your dog trained? They said, no. You don't know what kind of dog? We don't have a clue. As they're moving that dog past those other dogs, they said it was the ugliest dog they'd ever seen. One eye looked off. Every hair was going in a different direction. The legs looked like they were about as big around as a quarter. It was ugly. Did I mention ugly? And uh, they said, what kind of dog's that? They said, just a mutt. They said, this is thoroughbreds. They said, we know, but this isn't. They were from Crownville, Maryland, this couple. So they asked them, where'd you get the dog? They said, well, we were at a an animal shelter. And we was thinking about getting a pet and then we thought we better not get a pet and all these dogs run up to us but this one dog and it was, it was this one. It was so ugly. It didn't seem to have enough smarts to know which way the people were. Stayed over the corner and said we got into the kennel and walked over where that dog was and when we put our arms around that ugly looking thing said it was so full of joy that it had been noticed. 
he could hardly contain itself. And it began to jump and to run around the kennel. And said, if we ask, can we take it out of the kennel? Said, it took off like a streak and disappeared. And then it came charging back and jumped up in my husband's arms. Said, we're going to rescue this dog. Said, we never thought about entering into a race. And, but the more we loved on it, the more it began to show all kinds of speed and, 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 and joy and momentum. And we heard about this race. We just come to watch what we thought for no more than you're charging, we're just going to enter into the race. They said, well, but what training? They said, we just loved on it. We didn't let them guess it. We just took it home and loved on it. And when they started that race, that dog took off and it left those thoroughbreds in the dust. It never looked back. It just charged on. It was going 36, I think, miles per hour when it crossed the finish line. It looked like a speeding bullet. Nobody wanted it. Everybody thought it's just an old mutt. If there's any reason why you and I ought to love Jesus and want to get our momentum back, it's because he walked by and saw all of us nobodies that nobody else wanted, and our lives were in a mess, and he said, you know what? I'll just take that ugly one right over there. And he took us home, and he forgave us of our sins, and he cleaned us up, and he put us in the race of life, and he's trusting us to get out of the house and get to his house and get back on fire. You say, well, I, I want to serve him. Then get in there and serve him. You say, well, I've had some things happen in my life. I understand all of that, but let him, let him wash all of that off right now. Let's get back into the race. You say, well, I've got some difficulties standing between me and my miracle. Get him out of the way. Deal with the hindrances, the obstacles, everything that's keeping you from all that God wants you to be. Let's get in the race. Father, we thank you that we can get out. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org. 